Yo, how's it going, man? Yo, Sifu. Why, why don't you hit that intro, man? Go for it. All right, peeps. On today's episode of The Kung Fu Genius, the genius will not be answering questions live. Oh, no, he will be answering questions live. He will not be... You know what? Let's just do it live. And every Let's day, I practice martial arts. Yo, that was officially the worst intro we've ever had to an episode ever. <laughs> yes. That's what happens when you come in unprepared. That's what's up. That's what Listen happens when to, you come in unprepared. To all the kids out there. That's right. That's why you should enter the stream 15 minutes before, not of 15 course. seconds before. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm great, Sifu. I'm great. Scrambling so, right now. So Scrambling just wanted to and let, Just wanted to let the uh, audience know that uh, Dre and I actually recorded uh, a new pre-recorded episode last Saturday. So next Monday, you guys will get another regular episode of the Kung Fu Genius. That's right. Of old format, ask me anything, but we are going to do more lives because it does seem that the audience kind of likes this format a little bit. So uh, we're not going to, we're not going to do it every week, but we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely do it more often. So uh, anyway, right. it's good to see you live, man. It's good to, uh, uh, it's good to be here. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about lineages and stuff, because this is something that always pops up in Wing Chun for some of our audience. This is old hat. This is nothing new. Uh, for some other people who are just like fans of Wing Chun, they might not realize just how much um, many Wing Chun lineages actually hate each other. I mean, not to their faces. Everyone is super friendly and stuff. But the moment people leave the door, it's like, oh, my God, did you see that bong sale, right? Yeah. So um, they just don't want to admit it openly. So um, anyway, this is... Um, this is what we're going to talk about today. And the, uh, um, I guess the inspiration for this question actually came from one of our Patreons, uh, Sifu mm. Matt Jurgensen. So what I wanted to do was just read his question here real quick so that people kind of know what we're talking about. So Sifu Matt Jurgensen, uh, who's from Australia, wrote this to me. Uh, Hi, Alex, Dre, and Mikey. All right. Hey. In Australia, there seems to be a range of Wing Chun styles, which, as we gen uh, as we know, generally practitioners will subtly evolve different technical outworkings depending on factors such as environment, personality, their own teacher's filters. Okay. We also know that depending on lineages, there will be variations to forms, which brings uh, about application variances too. Certainly, this is true within my own lineage when comparing uh, schools of my classmates and my own. Uh, how many actual styles of Wing Chun have you encountered over the years? This is asking me, uh, or are you aware of? And uh, could you share something of what you've taken away from other styles uh, slash applications, which has made your Kung Fu better for the interaction? Very interested to hear your thoughts. Yours truly, Sifu Matt, Victor Harbor Wing Chun. So, um, yeah, so this is... Um, this is a great question. I mean, so one, uh, uh, this uh, Sifu Jurgensen is asking me essentially like, you know, what have I kind of seen from different lineages? What have I taken away? And, um, you know, what, what kind of things have like, have I used, right? And I wanted to use that as a springboard to just talk about lineages in general. What are you going to say, Dre? I, uh, I want to hear more about this, uh, the Wing Chun you did in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a, uh, that, that's great. We can definitely talk about that. So, um, I mean, I've been doing Wing Chun now for a hot minute. Um, mm. I mean, I know there's some of our listeners have been doing Wing Chun way longer than me, but I also haven't been doing Wing Chun for two years. Okay. Uh, I started <laughs> Wing Chun, I think around 1995, something like that. So wow. that's going to, that is a hot minute. That that's gonna, the, that's going to bring me close to definition 30 years. of a hot minute. Yeah, that's going to bring me close to 30 years pretty soon, right? I know there are people, oh, I've been doing Wing Chun for 45 years. Okay, fine. But I have not been doing Wing Chun for three years, all right? So after 30, 30 some odd years, uh, I think you earn the right to say something about Wing Chun, right? So at, at least I would, um, at least I would hope so. 
so um, before we uh, get into this, though, just want to remind everyone uh, to support the KFG. One of the best ways is to do it on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash the Kung Fu Genius, you can uh, support us for as little as $5 a month. You get access to early episodes. Right here, scrolling right yeah, there. You get, you get my Instagram subscriber stuff thrown in there. And every now and again, like right now, since we've been doing all these lives, uh, I did like a special Patreon-only episode for the Patreons because we didn't have any pre-recorded episodes coming early. So I still uh, will uh, give the Patreon some goodies this week. I'll record another Patreon-only episode uh, for them because obviously since we did the live, there was no pre-recorded episode. So I want to make sure that our Patreons get some special content that is not seen elsewhere. And uh, before we really get into this topic, let's uh, take a look at some of the comments here. Cool to see everyone. Frank O in the house, Garrett T. Down Frank under O, dad. Garrett T. Garrett T, down under dad, uh, loves a live show. Let's go. Uh, British Kung Fu King, cup of tea, anyone? I don't have a cup of tea, but I have my favorite uh, Darth Vader cup here, full of yeah. water. Uh, so uh, hello, Kelly Rhodes. Hello, good to see you. Uh, Kelly Rhodes from Cuba. We got Kelly we, Rhodes we get... is, my, is my uncle. Shout out to my uncle Kelly Rhodes. Oh, Kelly Rhodes, your uncle. Shout out to your uncle. We have yeah. uh, we have someone uh, uh, checking out our live stream from Cuba. All right, so very cool. Welcome, Cuba. Uh, welcome here. That's right, Johnny Duel. I was taught by what? Yip Man by video. Does this count? <laughs> he did the Yip Man video correspondence course, right? Okay. Uh, this also. The last person to see my finger jab was the last time they saw. <laughs> That's a great one. The last time uh, they were able to here? see. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, let's see who else we got in here. Uh, boom. No Yip Man 3 mug from Donnie Yen yet? Nope. Unfortunately <laughs> not. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the way it is. Um, it's, still right, so mail, it's still it's in still the mail, Sifu. It's still in the mail. It's still in the mail. Yeah. All right, cool. So let, uh, let's talk about it. So, uh, well, to get back to the question, I, at this point in my career, I can't, I don't know how many lineages of Wing Chun I've seen. Uh, I, I certainly didn't count them. Uh, when I first started <laughs> Wing Chun, I did not start with a uh, classical Wing Chun style, I suppose. I started with what you could call non-classical Wing Chun. And this was in the Seattle area. And what I did was a style called Chinjo Wing Chun, which comes from John Biol, who learned from... Dre, don't even start. All right. Don't even pretend to pronounce this stuff. All right. I literally say it and I you nailed don't that even one. close. I nailed that one. You know it. You absolutely did not nail that one. All right. So anyway, uh, so that was a uh, non-classical Wing Chun style from uh, a guy named John Bial, who basically synthesized the teachings of the late James DeMille, who was uh, uh, most likely Bruce Lee's, I think he was his third student. And uh, some stuff from Ed Hart. So it's it's the Seattle area Bruce Lee Wing Chun. All right. So uh, that that means that the first Wing Chun I, that I did uh, did not even have uh, I suppose you could say did not even have forms. Right. We actually just focused on the application of these things. So uh, it was really quite different from you know any kind of like classic Wing Chun that you might think about, where you have forms and then chi sao and all that kind of stuff. This was non-classical. This was basically just, uh, you know, chain punches, low kicks, you know, getting in there, sparring, doing that kind of Bruce Lee style, chi style, Bruce Lee style trapping. And I did that for about three years, really intensely. I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. And that was, for all intents and purposes, not a traditional style of Wing Chun, but it is through Bruce Lee, through the Yip Man lineage. And that's what kind of got me interested in other lineages of Wing Chun. And okay. I kind of went through this uh, research trip as a kid, like where I, you know, started to look at all the traditional Wing Chun, because what I realized is I wasn't doing traditional Wing Chun. I was doing some kind of modern or non-classical or whatever, however you want to categorize it. But I realized I didn't know the classical Wing Chun. I didn't know the traditional Wing Chun. What I was doing was basically uh, someone's version, all right, like John Bial's version of what James DeMille and Ed Hart taught, which was their version of what Bruce Lee taught, which was his version of what he understood from Wing Chun. So you're looking at uh, a number of edits, and, and that's not to say that it degraded or it got bad. I mean, uh, I, I'm all for human innovation. I'm not a traditionalist that thinks every generation gets worse. Uh, I think that it's just that if you, if you want to know 
what the source is, you got to go to the source. So I was really quite interested in what are the traditional guys doing? And I went around Seattle to some of the classic traditional Wing Chun schools. And I was not really that impressed. Uh, it just looked like they were doing a lot of forms and a lot of very stiff, stagnant chi sao. It was a lot of drill-based stuff. It didn't look like they had a lot of sparring, like they were really getting into it. And it eventually, you know, long story short, brought me to Leung Wing Chun, which then became the style of Wing Chun that I started doing and went to Germany to learn it full time and then later learned from Sifu Leung Teng and so on and so forth. So, but since I became a Wing Chun instructor, you know, I would have to say for the first number of years, I just focused on teaching. I mean, when you're building a school, you don't have time to go and, oh, let me check out all the other lineages. Besides, um, I trained full time in Germany to become an instructor. I was a qualified instructor. I wasn't some guy who went to a couple Wing Chun classes here and there and then decided to open a school. I mean, I am like a lot of Wing Chun instructor. You know, I, I, a lot I went, of people do. Yeah, yeah, I went to full-time school in Germany and six hours a day, five days a week for three years doing nothing but Wing Chun to become a Wing Chun instructor. So when I started teaching, for better or worse, I wasn't like unsure of what to teach or how to teach. I was okay. a trained professional Wing Chun instructor. So it took a little while before my school started, you know, getting enough students where I can now go back to Hong Kong and start to learn from uh, my own teachers from the Hong Kong side of things, because I learned from the European side. So to a certain degree, when I started learning from Sivu Leung directly, as opposed mm -hmm. to from his European representatives, that was almost like learning a different lineage of WT because oh, wow. even though the, the European system was, was really well refined, it had a very strong focus on self-defense and this kind of European Lutzow framework, it was very different from what Siva Lang Ting taught. And it was very different from the Chinese Gosao Lutzow framework. So my first new lineage of Wing Chun, yeah. although I'm using that a bit sarcastically, <laughs> was actually to learn the Chinese side the non-European side of the very family that I belong to. Okay, quick question. For those who don't know, the transition from your uh, the stuff you did in Seattle to the castle, and then mm -hmm. the transition from the castle to Lanteng, how did that go? Well, for me, it, it was uh, not as- I understand you, you were, you got to meet or you got to train with Amin Bostepi, in that transition before the castle yeah well i, I went to a few seminars because he was gotcha. he was my he was my sifu on paper because there was no qualified sifus in seattle so basically the u.s uh, association appointed him as my sifu but i was actually just learning from some local seahings i wasn't learning from him so so you know for better or worse sifu imin bostepe was actually my first wt sifu right and uh, I went to I went to a few of his seminars and I found them very uh, quite impressive. And that was part of the reason why I was like, wow, WT is a traditional or classical style of Wing Chun, meaning they have the forms and the the traditional chi sao, but also they had a strong emphasis on fighting and practical application. So for me, that was like this is the perfect mix because um, I'm a big kung fu head. So to be able to have like the real world practical self-defense stuff, like right. if someone grabs you, you have solid responses to deal with this stuff, but also to have that aspect of Chinese culture and traditional Chinese martial arts was the perfect mix for me and kind of WT fit the bill for me. It wasn't overly traditional and culty like some of the other Wing Chun schools okay. I had seen. And it wasn't just a modern JKD-ish, borrow a couple trapping ideas and call it a day Wing Chun. You know what I mean? So um, it really it really foot the bill. Now, I uh, don't mean to toot my own horn, but I'm about to toot my own horn. Um, the moment I want to do something, the moment I set my mind to do something, I just I dive in wholeheartedly and I go for it. So sometimes people have a difficult time transitioning between styles. Right. Um, You're not. You're not putting your toe in, checking the water temperature, and then kind of like, oh, I don't know, it's cold. You just jump right in, dive right in. Yeah, well, I mean, once, flop well, right once, in. once I know I want to do it, then I go all in. Um, mm -hmm. So the I think the reason why I was able to pick it up quickly is because I always start from the beginning, all right? Like so a lot of times when people come from other Wing Chun schools, um, they, uh, they're not really willing to... I, I hate, I hate Mikey Dean in the house. They're not really willing Mike to. Um, they're not really willing to empty their cup. They'll say that they're going to empty their cup, 
Um, but really what they're doing is they're just constantly comparing what they did before with what they're learning now. So they okay. can never really embrace the new thing that they're doing because it's like everything they learn, they go like, I already know the Siunam tile form, but they're in a new school, in a new lineage. And instead of learning from a, as a beginner and learning the new way of doing things, they're finding a way to kind of fit the new school's way with what they did before, which means that they are not really embracing what the teacher has to teach. It's like, they're kind of like, all right, well, you're good enough to teach me something, but uh, I still don't want to let go of my old stuff. And then what ends up happening is they end up spinning their wheels because they're constantly taking all the information they're learning from their instructor. And instead of just looking at it in a non-judgmental way at face value and trying to integrate it, they're constantly filtering it through what they did before, trying to square it away. And then what comes out is not what the instructor is trying to teach them. Sure. So that's why I, I know it sounds really trite. People always talk about, oh, you have to empty your cup and all this kind of stuff, which doesn't mean you have to be non-critical or that an empty mind doesn't mean uncritically accepting everything. But if you're going to learn something, you have to be a beginner. All right. It's just like with when I train with Magno in jujitsu, I don't go in there going like I've been doing Wing Chun for 30 years. I go like I'm a jujitsu. I've, I've done over the years. I've done a few years of jujitsu in my life, but I'm basically a beginner, right? And so right. that's when I train with him exactly how I act. I don't go like, well, you know, in Wing Chun, in the, I would just elbow you in the face if you tried to grab me. Like that, that means that I can't learn what he's trying to teach me. And I find that that's the biggest problem for people when they either change styles of Wing Chun or, or whatever, um, okay. or they look at another style is that they don't have these critical thinking uh, processes where they can look at something and try to see it for what it is and try to see it in a non-judgmental value-free way without going like, yeah, but in my style, we do it like this. Why don't you learn what this person is trying to do? Uh, if you want to really understand your point of view, one of the best things you can do is understand the arguments against your own opinion as good or better than the other style. So when people criticize WT, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. My thing is, my way is the right way. I don't care about their way. If if you're if I'm learning from you, I, I gotta show you my right way. Yeah, but that's also why they never end up doing anything. All right. T tell me one person who had that attitude, whoever flourished in another style. No one. Okay. They, they're just a pain in the ass in someone's school for six months and then they leave, not knowing any. Much the max, right? They they never make it past that six month mark. No, because they're not interested in learning. They want to go in there and they want to be your colleague on day one. It mm. would be like I've been doing martial arts longer than Magno. Okay, do you want uh, you want me to uh, Magno, who's the guy I trained Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with? You want to know something funny? When I did karate in the eighties, in nineteen eighty six. Okay. My karate instructor in New Jersey, David Lentz, mm -hmm. was one of the first guys on the East Coast to fly to the West Coast and start learning from the Gracies. He was actually learning from Hori and Gracie in the mid 80s before UFC, before any of that stuff. And he would come back to do, we would be doing karate and he would come back from California after having done a bunch of jujitsu and he yeah. would show us like mount defense and he would show us some beat. And I remember he was saying it was called Gracie jujitsu and I didn't know it was Brazilian. And I just thought Gracie doesn't sound like a Japanese name. I, I always thought like, <laughs> why is the jujitsu Gracie, right? It doesn't sound Japanese, right? But he showed us, I, I learned the UPA defense. I learned like a Upa. couple of these. Yeah, I learned a couple basic defenses from the ground. And so I could say, well, you know, Magno, and you might you be like a black you might be a black belt under Henzo Gracie, but okay. I actually learned Gracie Jiu-Jitsu when I did karate in 1986. So I've actually been doing it before you. This is you the attitude Chinese years old, nine years old, right? Yeah, but that's the attitude Chinese Kung Fu people have. Like, oh, 30 yeah. years ago, I did something once before you. Therefore, you have to make me your Sikh. But it would be just as absurd if I was, like, pulling out that, well, you know, Magno, you might be one of Henzo's boys. But in 86, I already learned the UPA, okay? It would be, like, that absurd, right? So the whole idea of walking into someone else's school, wanting to learn from them, 
and then simultaneously trying to like post your credentials all the time. So, so because it's all ego, they don't want to become a student. They don't want to have the mind of a beginner. They want to immediately be the instructor's colleague. Okay. And it have I and I see it sometimes in the comments on Instagram, on our City Wing Chun page, not on the oh, yeah. genius one. I posted the uh, a reel of me doing the modern tactical getup, which as you yeah. know, Trey, is different from the traditional getup we do in WT, where we don't use our hands. Right. And some chucklehead commented, like, yeah, that's okay. But in my school, we take it one step further. We do the getup without using our hands. And you, you realize, like, first of all, there's no there's no need to talk like that. It's like he's not trying to, like, comment. He's trying to show what he knows. Uh -huh. And then, of course, I can't help it but snap back. I go, oh, yeah, the get up without using the hands. That's the one we taught for the first 15 years at City Wing Chun. But it doesn't work for everyone because of hip and ankle limits, mobility limitations. So we also have this one here. But, yeah, I used to teach that one back in the day, too. All right. And it's just like, dude, calm down. You know who's, what I mean? Who's this guy? So anyway, let's look at a couple comments here. Let's see what people have to say. Oh, One right, time right. knuckle. Mikey Dean must apologize for pushing opium in Hong, on Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, harkens back to the old colonial times. Right? Oh, man. Uh -huh. Wow. Check this out. Lots of people are up on all the Mikey Dean stories. Suspicious Ford Fiesta parked outside my flat. Uh, those who remember the couple episodes, we had Mikey Dean on there. He was talking about Ford Fiesta being the official car of drug dealers in the UK. Uh, we this got uh, Carlos Estrella in the house. Sivu Alex, the Wing Chun train Neng engine is tooting his horn. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for chiming in. Uh, so, um, shout yeah, out so to Carlos. Shout out to Carlos. What else we got here? So the German WT version was more modern street applicable than the Langting version? No, absolutely not. That's not what I said, but that's definitely what you heard. Uh, no. Uh, so the European had more of an emphasis on self-defense, like um, I guess what you can call the ritualistic type of self-defense when people get in your face and shout all like the verbal stuff all these kind of things are not addressed are addressed by Qing dynasty technology these are modernizations right and the european system had some uh, uh great training ideas which could allow you to learn certain things fast but i would say the hong kong version was almost exclusively designed for all the all the training is very scrappy the cheese house very scrappy the sparring is very scrappy and uh so i actually didn't say that if that's what you heard um mm. that is uh, definitely um not what i meant to say there uh all right so what else do we got here boom method of infighting if you cannot validate yourself by showing your skill in sparring or fighting then it must be by bragging absolutely uh, we got a British Kung Fu King again. I once caught a ball at a cricket match. Can I play for England now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. I once I saw a jujitsu match before you even started jujitsu, bro. Um, boom. We got Vortex Sophie in the house. Right Did Keanu do a chain punch on the newest Wick trailer? Did you see the new John Wick trailer? I did not. I didn't see the new John Wick trailer. I, I know some people who worked on John Wick 3. Uh, yeah. Stunt guys in the uh, here here in New York, but uh, I I think Donnie Yen is going to be in the next John Wick, and I know that uh, I think Scott Adkins is going to be there, and then they're yeah. already talking about some kind of spinoffs and stuff like that, almost like creating a oh, uh, no like a John Wick universe. It um, Morpheus is in it. <laughs> yeah, but Mor Morpheus no, was in the other one. Larry Fishburne is in it. Lawrence, don't, don't call him. Don't call him Larry. By the way, no, I actually no. heard a story. I actually heard a no, story. Last once. time I called him Larry, he 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 had it out with me. Yeah, I remember that. Are you crazy. serious? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm no. I'm telling you because he he used to be down in the in in the East Village back in the day. I know people who knew him back in the day. Someone called him Larry. He got pissed. <laughs> no, no. That that's like a serious. That's like a serious thing. I thought you were joking. No, like, don't call legit. Lawrence Fishburne Larry. Okay. Ooh. Not the thing to do. I remember one time I was walking with um, Sifu Lau on the street, uh, mm -hmm. Sifu Carson Lau, one of my 
uh, great mentors and instructors back in the old days uh, when I was in the yeah. IWTA. And we were walking down Sixth Avenue and Lawrence Fishburne was walking towards us. It was a Friday night, 9 p.m., you know, Manhattan streets buzzing. He was walking by himself, no entourage, no nothing. He was like just looking smooth. And I remember these ladies saw him and they were like, oh, Lawrence Fishburne. And he just looked at them and he said, it almost sounded, he sounded exactly like, like he did it in that Morpheus tone. Yeah. He said, good evening, ladies. <laughs> like The way he said it was just so slick. And then I told Sipala, I'm like, hey, Sipala, that's Lawrence Fishburne over there. And uh -huh. uh, and he's like, uh, who the hell is Lawrence Fishburne? No, that's more <laughs> Learn Ting's voice. I'm doing it. I was allowed to say it that way. And I'm like, he's from the Matrix. And he's like, oh, and then, and then he got super excited. It was really oh, great. nice. So, nice. uh, yeah, it's always good. That's a great thing about New York is you often see these guys just kind of chilling and hanging yeah. out, like, you know, totally normal. Like and it's so random every time. Every yeah, time. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So what do we got here? Mikey Dean. He was Larry uh, in his early career. Oh, he was Larry in his. Maybe that's just what they build him as, but he certainly did not like that. I had a, I had a, a, a story, someone who grew up near where Lawrence Fishburne used to live around the time when he started to become famous and okay. some, some dudes called him Larry and he was, uh, he was none too pleased. So, uh, boom, what else we got yeah, here? British yeah. Kung Fu King, uh, was Bill Nye the science guy? <laughs> I don't know. Let's not talk about Bill Nye. We're, this stream is getting off to a very good start. It's very, let's not bring up Bill Nye, please. Oh, please. Right? Uh, that's a great, Keep that's a great the equation. That's a great mood killer right there. <laughs> All right. So to get back to the original question, okay? So I talked a little bit about what I did and that going to the Hong Kong side of things was almost like learning a new lineage, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then in more recent years, so by my recent years, I mean in the last 10 to 12 years of my Wing Chun career, basically since I became independent from Learning Ting's association, uh, okay. I, I decided to kind of, when I go to Hong Kong to, my, my idea was not to, oh, let me go and learn from a bunch of other people and then mix it because I, I find that sometimes people have a very undisciplined way of mixing stuff. It's like, okay, you like this guy's packs out, but does it fit into the framework of how you use it? Or is it just a cool thing? Does it really work within the framework of how you fight? But the main reason that I started to become more friendly with other Wing Chun people and other Wing Chun lineages kind of post Leung Ting career is and i'm gonna be quite honest uh i couldn't do it while i was in the langting organization all right so uh the langting organization siva langting can sometimes be a bit uh possessive and controlling of his students and even within uh the wt lineage there were like people who had left langting a number of years ago on the chinese side like sifu tam hong fun and and other people and i you know, I wanted to meet Sifu Tam Hung Fun because I remembered him from the old books, but he was no longer part of Learning Ting's association. And had I gone to pull stay, this off, well, I mean, even if I just while I was in Learning Ting's organization, even if I just went to Tam Hung Fun school just to say hi, yeah. uh, and Sifu Learning Ting caught wind of that, man, I would have caught an earful. Man, same thing with all these other guys, right? I could. I even told Sifu Learning Ting once that I wanted to go to the Wing Chun Athletic Association because that was the school that used to be Grandmaster Yip Man's school. And mm -hmm. he like sternly warned me against it. He didn't say I couldn't go, to be fair. He didn't say, he didn't say, oh, you're not allowed to go. He mm -hmm. was just like, okay, be careful because when you go there, there are certain factions within the Wing Chun world that the moment they see that uh, you are from Leung Ting, they're going to, you know, want to take a photo with you. And then they're going to say, oh, I taught that guy, the Learning Ting student is coming over here and learning from me. Now, to be fair, he's oh. actually not wrong. All right. Because that kind of shit happens all the time. All right. right. I'm I'm good friends with Maxifu, as you know. All right. Who is a Hungar master extraordinaire. He's one of my great friends. The sweetest guy of, you'll ever meet. Sweetest guy. You've met him a few times. Yeah. He's, um, he's someone that I can have a really long and in-depth conversation about Chinese martial arts with. And I, the conversations I have with Mak Sifu about Wing Chun, even though he's not a Wing Chun Sifu, are some of the best conversations about Wing Chun I've ever had because he knows about Wing Chun. He trained a little Wing Chun back in the 70s, but 
he has an outsider perspective where he can talk about Wing Chun characteristically as a martial art without having any emotional attachment to it and then kind of compare it to certain elements in Hongyun. And um, I get a lot more insight sometimes talking to him about Wing Chun than I do talking to other people because other people who are from Wing Chun, when you want to have a serious conversation with them, they clam up a little bit because oh, they're afraid of saying too much or whatever. And you sometimes can't have an open, honest, and I'm talking about Chinese Sifus. I'm not talking about Sifu Jim Jam Jingle Bop in Tennessee who'll talk to anyone. I'm talking about like the real guys in Hong Kong. I'm I met that guy, about, by the way. I yeah, I'm not talking Jim, about, uh, you know, you know the, the Sifu Jim master from uh, uh, Pennsylvania, all right? I'm a master of 18 lineages of Wing Chun. You're like, I'm not talking about that guy. No one cares My about favorite. that. favorite. My favorite meeting was uh, Grandmaster Baxter back in 86. Grandmaster Baxter back in 86? Yes, yeah. yes. He was, he was uh, a very special. You know, I still would love to see an interview between Grandmaster Baxter and Dan Inosanto. <laughs> I think that's the way to go. That's, uh, that's, that's got to be done. Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, Carlos Estrella, $10 donation. Thank you very much. After he was in uh, Band of the Hand in the 80s, he permanently became Larry. By the way, good job today, guys. All right. Uh, so um, thank I you. hope. Yeah, thank you so much, Carlos. By the way, Shout out. I, hope it, I hope it's not telling tales out of school. But <laughs> Carlos dropped a bomb on me yesterday in Instagram. And uh, I want to tell it to you, all right? So I hope I'm not, you know, uh, I hope I'm not telling tales out of school. But uh, Carlos told me some ninja shit yesterday, all right? <laughs> and uh, by the way, I was really into ninjutsu stuff as a kid, but I was more into movie ninjutsu stuff. I wasn't like, I had yeah. the books from Stephen K. Hayes and stuff, but I wasn't like super interested in the actual art of ninjutsu. I was into, I wanted to be Shokasugi, okay? I, I didn't want to be Stephen K. Hayes. I wanted to be like, you know, one of those ninjas from the you movie. You didn't want to be like the Shishida Kim? No? Because he's, no. he's the OG. He's not the OG. <laughs> Watch your mouth, sir. All right. So uh, anyway, he told me that Masaki Hatsumi, who's the teacher of Stephen K. Hayes, all right? And I hope I'm paraphrasing this correctly, all right? Oh. Was actually the, the, the coiner of the term Shidoshi, okay? So Shidoshi, if you look at those three characters because uh obviously it's japanese but they use the chinese kanji or haunti right the chinese characters and when you look at those three characters the first one is c as in like scholar or warrior the second one is though like the way so it's like scholar of the way and then the uh she at the end is the same as c like sifu meaning teacher so it's like like teacher of the scholarly way kind of, I guess. But okay. this is apparently not a traditional term in Japanese ranking systems and was okay. something that um, Mr. Hatsumi came up with. So um, it's not like a traditional term. And perhaps it was a term that he coined in the 80s, maybe in the late 70s. But it's not something that if you go back to Japan, that's commonly used and you ne don't necessarily see it in other Japanese styles. Wow. So we all know our boy Frank Dukes, right? From Bloodsport, who claimed to be a ninja. I was just watching it last week. Who claimed to be a ninja, all right? Uh, yeah. And learned ninjutsu. Do you remember when he goes to the Kumite and then they, they're like, oh, you're the student of Senzo Tanaka? Do you remember what title Senzo Tanaka had? Who cares if Bruce Springsteen is his Shidoshi? So Frank Dukes, who claims to have learned ninjutsu from uh, a, some, some character from a James Bond movie, uh, straight up stole a term which was made up in that decade and then somehow got that title or used that title for his teacher, who presumably he learned from in the 70s when the Kumite happened. So this is yet another uh, yet another nail in the um, Frank Duke's bullshit coffin, all right? 
It's a coffin of bullshit. All right. So did anyway, you tell Viking Samurai this yet? This is I great. did that. And then what did he do? He said, he said, uh, he said something like, oh, Frank Duke says he's the one who created that term. Oh, so Frank Dukes knows Japanese. <laughs> I wanna I wanna hear Frank Duke speak Japanese beyond ordering sushi or something like that, right? All right. Question. Yeah. Yo. Would you have Frank Dukes on? Let's say he wanted to come on a live next week. Uh, I think so, but um, I I would find like okay. So when I when like he, my boy Viking Samurai, all right, uh, he has given Frank Dukes an open platform to tell his story, and I, I think that he, that's really very generous. Admirable. Yes, he's very general, very generous, right? And he hasn't like I mean he does like like viking samurai will yeah he'll push the pedal a little bit to kind of like he'll press frank a little bit on stories but frank is someone who constantly explains away all of like he has an explanation for everything and it's always like dre if i call you on something that i'm not sure is true all right yeah your answer would normally be pretty straightforward you, like if i'd be like dre you know you told me that you did this one thing once what's up with that and you'd be like oh right this happened. But My with buddy Frank used Duke, to call me an ace. Answer huh? for everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ace. Yeah. But the, the problem with Frank Dukes is when you talk to him, when you listen to him and mm -hmm. people like kind of press him, he's like, well, you know what I'm saying? And then it's always like, well, you see, and then and then he has this like super long convoluted explanation for everything. It's like nothing is ever a straightforward thing with him. He always has problems with people. You know, which is also a okay. red flag. Like, yo, why are you always like not getting along with people and shit, right? <laughs> why is there always some beef between you and other people, right? It's the internal conflict that he he just pushes outwardly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So internal. the thing is that I wouldn't like try to like make him feel bad or whatever, but mm -hmm. I but I uh, but I would I don't think I I have the patience. With Frank, I have the patience with other people, but with Frank Dukes, you know why I feel a little betrayed? Because I loved Bloodsport as a kid. And like, if you took out that bullshit about Bloodsport being a true story and it was just an 80s action movie, right? it would still be just as popular as it is now and, and no one would have any issue with it. But it's like that final frame where they put like all the kind of like, you know, all his bullshit records and stuff. And he fought in the Kumite that no professional fighter at that time got an invitation to. So it's like, is he really fighting the best of the best if Benny Urquidez never got an invitation to the Kumite, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and so, you know, it, it really doesn't make any sense. Uh, no. uh, and, and so I would press him a little bit, like, on the details. Like, I want to hear details about this Kumite, you know? Okay. Yeah. Would you, for the sake of just just having a, uh, I don't know how 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 could you say it, just kind of let let it go and just become that, what say ten year old? I get I, I think it was more like a twelve year old when you first watched it, right? Bloodsport. Uh, no, that what they came out eighty seven, eighty. I was the ten ten or eleven, something like that. Yeah. Right. Could you? interview him from that perspective yeah but i was Forget a all the bullshit was, that happened yeah but i was a shithead when i was 10 years old i'd be like tell me tell me were there any other ninjas in the kumite were you the only ninja who fought like that's the kind of question i would have asked at that age right, right. you know uh were, were there other kung fu guys in there what about karate guys like some of these styles i never heard about like wow it's amazing how did you train for to fight you know uh, yeah. uh, like Thai boxers and Kung Fu, like, you know, I would have asked you to read. By the way, if you check out the comment, Floris Van Lingen, lift the big toe. Uh, and what he's referencing to here is don't be a non-believer though. And that is kind of a bit of a reference for like death touch points and these kind of things. I don't know if you remember that old video with, um, uh, what is his name? Uh, George Dillman, where he was the guy who had all the pressure points. And then oh. some people called him out on that. And then he said, oh, well, if you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, it nullifies the the the, the point and all this kind of, this kind of bullshit. Like if, if, if you have to be a believer to get knocked out by something, it doesn't work because your opponent uh, shouldn't have to believe in your nonsense in order for it to work. It either works or it doesn't. Right. Uh, we got Junction Street Tigers. 
Frank Duke, Steven Seagal, and George Dillman are my top three KFG guests. Dillman has an interesting backstory. That's true. Before, like George Dillman now is basically known for being a pressure point chief fraud, like kind of a, you know, this guy who gives you these slaps and then you you basically convulse and fall down, right? Which is kind right. of a mass hypnosis type thing. But George Dillman used to be a legitimate karate guy. You know what I mean? And uh, okay. he even has a photo at a tournament, I think, next to Bruce Lee. And Muhammad Ali, uh, when he went for his training camps, you know, it was like George Dillman was like there and he knew these guys. And so mm -hmm. there, there, were, there was a time when George Dillman was not considered an absolute joke. And that time is gone. You know what I mean? You know, uh, yeah. Speaking of, of great karate guys... I saw something interesting last night. What did um, you see? Upcoming on Netflix, Agent Elvis. Agent Elvis? What's that Agent about? Elvis is a cartoon, Netflix cartoon, that is coming out maybe uh, this sometime in March. He's like a CIA agent. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's straight bananas, bonkers. I don't know if it's an alternate reality. I, I don't know uh -huh. what's how is this happened. But is this but Elvis during his lifetime, or is this like a faked his death Elvis? It's a cartoon. Oh, I get that, but is the story like Elvis faked his death and then did all these things, or is this before? I I'm not sure. I'm not uh -huh. sure, but it was it. fascinating because the cartoon he, he exactly like Elvis. You you're like blown away by how great this cartoon looks. Right, um, right, I got to right. look at the preview again. You can check it out in upcoming Netflix. Awesome. It's something to see. Yeah. Awesome. British Kung Fu King top documentary blood sport, right? Uh, I think, <laughs> I think, I think Dre, you had, you had one of the best comments ever when, uh, in an old episode, when you said that Jean-Claude Van Damme was a reenactment actor talking about you know, blood sport. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, absolutely wild, man. Absolutely man. wild. So we had, uh, I don't want to talk too much about this topic because we talked about it in our pre-recorded one, but I did want to mention uh, a latest book find I have, uh, which is this, uh, The Death of Bruce Lee, uh, La Muerte de Bruce Lee. Uh, it's half in Spanish, half in English. Yeah. Like, you know, when you when you look at the books, like uh, one page is in English, the other half is the Spanish translation. I and love that is, photo, by the way. Yeah, this is uh, from a Spanish author, uh, Marcos Rizzo, who basically took all of the documents that are available regarding Bruce Lee's death, uh, his autopsies, uh, public de uh, depositions, statements made by doctors, and, um, and basically put all of the stuff about Bruce Lee's death into one book. And okay. as you can see, it's a relatively hefty tome. And it's um, really interesting because when I look at it, if I'm honest, a lot of the stuff in the book I've seen before because I'm the Kung Fu genius, all right? Uh, I have all this stuff. I have, you know, I, I have autopsies. I have all these kind of things here. Hold on a sec. My daughter's here. She's trying to hide on the side there. They just got home from school. Hey, hey. Look who it is there. All right. Look who's made it. Look who made okay. it to the party. <laughs> so I, ha I have all this stuff, but, you know, I have like this thing over here. I have that thing over there. It's not all put together. And what's great about this book is he compiles everything together and then tells it in a linear narrative. So the first part is basically his May 10th collapse, and it has all the details about that. And then the, the next part is like, you know, concerning the July 20th thing. And so uh, it's really fascinating because you could see everything together. The only problem is it came out in 2020 or 2021, so it's still pre-drug letters. Mm. And so, but the interesting thing is, because I've timelined all the drug letters, uh, if you kind of put the timeline of the certain letters that he wrote over the timeline of some of the stuff in here, it's very interesting. And again, I, we talked about this on our pre-recorded episode last week, which we will talk about next week. I like how you're acting surprised as if we didn't just talk about this on Saturday. No, that, that, that one thing about the letters, I don't yeah, think- Yeah, you're right. I, I, didn't actually, I didn't actually say that on Saturday. No, yeah. you did I didn't not. Mean to, I didn't mean to 
I had to dog you on that one there. You're right. You're right. I didn't actually say that on Saturday. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though, uh, because uh, one thing that is very apparent, mm. at least to me, is that uh, Bruce was open and honest to his doctor about his cannabis use, but he made no mention of the other substances. And it's very clear because his uh, the doctor Langford, after that first incident, wanted Bruce to do a bunch of tests and Bruce didn't want to do any tests. He wanted to go to the States first as if somehow he didn't want certain things to come out. He wanted a few days for it to clear his system, which by the way, cocaine clears your system in three days, which is something I'm sure they knew back then. So, uh, so anyway, uh, very interesting. So, but again, that also could be my own spin and my own uh, narrative on it as well. Uh, okay. But uh, it, it is interesting. Like like I said, the problem with Bruce Lee's death is we have lots of information, but we don't have perspective. We don't know what those individual pieces of information mean. We don't know what pieces of information are important and what are just coincidence, what are, uh, you know, what means something, what doesn't mean something, right? We have information, but we don't have perspective on that information. And right. I have the feeling that it's going to kind of uh, always uh, be that way. Um, you know what I find interesting is definitely uh, this. This, of course, could be speculation on my part. Of, uh, of, I'm so good at it. The um, to a lot of casuals, and I, I consider myself a casual. So do I. The May the May 10th thing is is a lot of people don't know about the May 10th. No, the May 10th, and, and we talked about this on the episode. The May 10th episode is horrific. I'll let. I'll let our audience members listen to that episode next week where I talk yeah. a little bit about how oh. horrific May, May, the May 10th incident was a lot more horrific than oh. most people are like, oh, he just had a seizure, he collapsed, blah, 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 blah. But uh, no, it was it was god awful. Um, and by the way, there's a great comment on the screen. Mikey <sighs> Dean says, he acts surprised about something you said five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God, Mikey Dean. Paid five bucks to make sure that we just put that on the screen right there. Shout oh, out to Mickey Dean paying, yes. paying his own podcast. Shout out to the Deanster. That's amazing. Shout out. Uh, I like yeah, that photo so, you got there, Mikey. You might have to update it. Yeah, it's a very old photo. It's a very old photo. <laughs> so if we go back to our uh, lineage discussion from before, um, you know, one of the things, like I said, one, kind of in my post-learning career was now that I no longer had to listen to Sifu Langting tell me, oh, you shouldn't go to the Wing Chun Athletic Association because they're going to try to, you know, use you or you shouldn't go visit this guy because he's an ex-member. I had the chance to finally go out there and meet some members of my Wing Chun family who had either left the association many years ago or I otherwise didn't have access to them. And I also had a chance to meet people like the late Sifu Chan Chi Man, you know, mm. great private student of Yip Man from the era of Wong San Leung in the early restaurant union. Chen Chi Man was someone that I would not have been able to meet while I was in the Lerngting organization. Because if I if I told Siva Lerngting, oh, I just had lunch with Siva Chen Chi Man, he would be very suspicious, right? Because that's his character. And mm. so, um, but I think meeting Siva Chen Chi Man was one of the best things that ever happened to me because he gave me so much perspective because I had information, but I didn't have perspective Ooh, on what Yitman did in the early days. And... Tansivu really, you know, he was overly kind to me. I, 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 I almost feel embarrassed because I wasn't his student and I was not in his direct lineage, although we're all from the Yipman style. Mm -hmm. But he treated me in many respects better than some of my own teachers that I've had. He was way more forthcoming with information. He was way more open and, and honest about things. And he gave me an absolute ton of perspective as to how uh, Wing Chun was taught in the early days. And, um, you know, it uh, was very, very interesting. Um, Kevin, my version of the book, The Death of Bruce Lee by uh, Marcus Rizzo, the updated February 2002, it has the drug letters. Well, uh, by the way, Kev, I think you were the one that suggested I ordered the book. I ordered the book and the version they sent me did not have that. So um, if you could maybe uh, make a copy of some of those pages and send them to me because I'd be very curious um, if uh, what his perspective is on it because I have my own perspective 
but I'm not interesting in, interested in hearing myself. I want to hear what someone else has to say about that. So okay. uh, shoot me a, shoot me a message somewhere and uh, let, let's, I want to see what's in there. My version doesn't seem to have that in there. I'll double check it. I mean, I've only read it. I've only read the first part, the May 10th bit. Uh, so I've scanned the rest of the book. I haven't, so it might be in there, but I looked at the copyright date. I think it was 2021. So I think, I think those, those nerds sold me an old version of the book. Uh, yeah, Mikey <laughs> Dean, I think they're selling some old version of the book. Yeah, because I think when, when, uh, when Kev Neb 007 told me to get the book, he told me that the drug letter stuff was in there and I was like, Ooh, even without the drug letter stuff, like I said, the most interesting thing about it is that it puts everything together in a linear narrative. And uh, mm -hmm. that is the um, that is the interesting part about that. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, question. Uh, did you ever meet anyone from the Seattle Red Boat Wing Chun line? Um, no, but I've heard plenty of people from the Fuk Yang line, which Fuk Yang was an opera actor. And uh, the idea that he taught some very specific lineage, there's no specific lineage called Red Boat Wing Chun. If, if anyone claims to teach 1850 style Wing Chun, they have a, a, a very hard road ahead of them explaining how and where that comes from. There wow. are a lot of people that claim that Fu Yang, who was an avuncular character in Bruce Lee's life, he was a, an, an uncle type who knew his father, was like the secret guy who who finished bruce lee on the wing chun system okay and this is extremely dubious if uh Fu young taught bruce lee anything it might have been some stuff regarding operatic ways of doing martial arts it might have been some other more traditional martial arts but the thing that Fu young taught bruce lee some kind of secret uh red boat wing chun is mm -hmm. a very dubious thing and you know what i also find kind of weird about these people who just constantly trumpet the horn of Fu yang being the guy who secretly completed bruce lee on wing chun is because post seattle bruce lee never okay. made any claims of having learned the entire wing chun system so if mm -hmm. Fu yang had somehow secretly completed bruce lee on the wing chun system well then we would have probably heard about it yeah we would have heard about it but then of course very much in the frank duke's way Oh, Fuk Young didn't want Bruce Lee to say it because he didn't want Bruce's Sifu to lose face, that he had secretly completed him on the Wing Chun system when Yip Man wouldn't. So what happens is you have hearsay piled upon hearsay about what actually happened. And then what also I find is kind of strange about saying that Bruce Lee learned some secret Red Boat Wing Chun in Seattle is that, well, then if that stuff was so great, why did he then still have to create Jeet Kune Do later? So the thing is, like, they want to say, like, oh, he taught him the real Wing Chun, because, of course, the Yip Man Wing Chun is not the real Wing Chun, blah, 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 blah. And then, like, okay, great. But then Bruce Lee still felt that there were some limitations in Wing Chun after his fight with Wong Jack Man, which would include the Wing Chun he learned from Fuk Yang because he would have been finished learning from Fuk Yang at that time. All right. Okay. Unless the new narrative is... No, he actually then went back to him and learned after the Wong Jack Man fight, to which I say, and he still did Jeet Kune Do, and how come this Red Boat Wing Chun didn't make its way into Jeet Kune Do? So I Good find question. those guys have a big burden of proof. Yes. Who was the guy that taught the, what, is it Four Pillar Wing Chun? Four Direction Wing Chun. Four Direction Wing Chun. Yes. Uh, is that so, so I, I, No, 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 no. This was a guy in China and okay. in mainland China in the 80s. Four direction, yes. Yeah, because remember uh, in the 80s, uh, <laughs> a lot of mainland Chinese people did not know that Wing Chun was really popular because obviously this is pre-internet. We're still talking about a, a very communist version of China at that time. Yes. And they're, they're, at that time, they were just starting to trumpet the, the Shaolin Temple and trying to sell that as a tourist gimmick, right? Through Jet Li's films and their rebuilt plastic Shaolin temple that they that they made for for unsuspecting yeah, Westerners to go there and think that they're in some holy place where martial arts came from. It's like, bro, that Buddha was made in 1981. Okay, stop. So, um, and it's made out of plastic. And that thing that you think is Bodhidharma's wall uh, that was made in a factory in China. Stop. Okay. I want people to stop pretending that the Shaolin temple in China has anything to do with the origin of martial arts. You can shit can that entire idea. Um, so um, so in the 80s, they went back, uh, the 
the Hong Kong Wing Chun guys, like the, the Hong Kong Wing Chun delegation from the Wing Chun Athletic Association, people like Leung Tang, Wong Sun Leung, Yip Chun, those guys, they went to Fatsan to meet with some of their elder Kung Fu brothers, the guys who had learned from Yip Man before Yip Man came to Hong Kong. And while they were there, there were some other local Wing Chun guys, all right? And by the way, when people talk about mainland Chinese Wing Chun, it's mm -hmm. seemingly there's a new style of mainland Chinese Wing Chun that springs up all the time. The question is always, where were these guys back then, okay? It's curious that after the IP Man movies, suddenly oh. suddenly China is this, uh, this huge resource of all these classical Wing Chun styles we didn't know about. And guess what? They all happen to be better than Yip Man Wing Chun, right? <laughs> and so anyway, there was a chucklehead there who, you know, was watching the Hong Kong guys do their thing, you know, uh, uh, Hong Kong Wing Chun is missing, uh, you know, only has one direction or something like that. And then I'm going to show you the secret four direction Siunam Tao. And then proceeds to set the stance, do the Siunam Tao form, stop, turn 90 degrees, do the Siunam Tao form again, stop, turn 90 degrees again, do it again, and do it one more time and say, that is the secret one. So basically, the secret to Yip Man Wing Chun, all right? <laughs> or is it, sorry, sorry, the secret to real Wing Chun, Siunam Tao, is you have to do the Siunam Tao not once, but four times and facing four directions. Because Dre, if you only practice the Siunam Tao facing north, how can you deal with an opponent who attacks you from the south? It's genius. Right? It's, like, I... I I never thought of something like that, right? It's genius. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't implemented in in your schools yet. Uh, no, because I I just I just tell people to get a body cam and put it on their back. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Andy well, Roy, talking talking about books. I got a copy of Chan Chi Man's book uh, that has half of the pages upside down. Oh. Uh, yes, listening to him talking about the old days painted a great picture of how things were in those days. Uh, yes, so I I would like to say not just because he's my my my, my late friend, but I have to say that the, the loss of Sivu of Chan Sivu is it was a huge loss to the Wing Chun community because uh, I never met a Wing Chun Sifu that wasn't trying to get something from me. Okay, I'm just going to be quite honest. Uh, when I go to Hong Kong, you know, well, well I sh actually, I shouldn't say that. There are a few other Sivus. Sivu, uh, Wan Kam Leung has always been very generous to me. But other mm -hmm. Sivus, maybe more the ones in my own lineage, they always seem to kind of want something, all right? And Chan Sivu would invite me to my house, to his house. We would talk for hours. Mm -hmm. And he would want nothing. And he would tell me stuff. He would he would stand up. He would he would show me. Ah, when I learned from Chi uh, Sao from Yip Man, he did like this. I and mean, he would just grab my hands oh, and he yeah. would start showing me how Yip Man taught him. And then we'd go over to the wall bag and he would show me how how yeah. Yip Man showed him how to hit the wall bag and just tell me all these things. And it was just oh, like man. I mean, sometimes there were moments uh, where you know I I felt a little emotional because of how open he was to me and how yeah. um, almost just, I didn't feel deserving of his kindness sometimes because it was really quite extensive. So- You know what's um, fascinating about uh, Sifu Chen Chi Man was to me was his, he was what, 85 when, when I met him? I don't know, 83, but he had yeah, such yeah, a at huge, yeah a youthful enthusiasm about Wing Chun. Like it brought the biggest kid out of him. Yes, Every time yes. he talked about it, which was yeah. the whole time. Yeah, to see someone oh, his age that. and like, you know, remember when Why we not? went to his we went to his home in Hong Kong and then he's looking at your jacket. He's like, wow, it's such a nice jacket. And then he's like, he's like, oh yeah, go go look at the photos of me with Yip Man. And then he had the long pole from Lok Yu. And then he's like, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead and hold it. And then, you know, Arnell was in his apartment using, using uh, Lok Yu's long pole. And then Chen Chi Man was like, you know, oh, you see, your student is very good at, at long pole and like, and just like getting up and then showing us stuff. And when he was talking about his time training, you saw that he was like transformed into an 18 year old kid again. And it was, it was so great. And just to see his, um, his kind of like, uh, how quickly he declined was mm. was so brutal and so so difficult and uh you know it just it it, it really it, it really kind of pains me you know to to think about mm -hmm. that so uh yeah i really miss him i'm sorry that uh you got his book 
with some of the pages uh, printed upside down. I don't know, the, the book I think was published in Spain by his student, Jose Ortiz, who unfortunately also passed away about a year before Tansivu passed away, meaning that I'm not really sure what Tansivu's legacy is right now, because I don't know how many students out there who learned his method uh, really, um, you know, are, are out there right now. Uh, like the old saying uh, regarding uh, claiming Bruce Lee's success credit failing as an orphan and success has a thousand fathers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's very interesting how people want to claim stuff about Bruce Lee. Oh, that Four Directions is a bit like the Bagua stepping of mainland Wing Chun. No, this guy literally just did the Siunam Tao form like this, finished, stopped, turned, did it again, finished, stopped, turned, did it again. There, there were no there were no footwork maneuvers that would make anyone go like, oh, this using the subti toy from the dummy or something like that. It right. was just a bucket of hot nonsense. Uh, pretty fly for a Filipino guy. I wouldn't have known hey. about Sifu Man if not for the KFG. That's a shame. Yeah. So um, the one thing the one thing I'm going to say is, uh, because as I've talked about sometimes, I did have these hopes about doing a Yip Man documentary, especially in the days before the pandemic. Mm. And uh, in my last trip to Hong Kong, which was in August of 2019, just shortly before <laughs> the whole world fell apart, um, I went to Hong Kong and, and I had a, um, a filmmaker over there and I said, you know, we should start shooting some stuff for the documentary. And we shot three to four hours of footage of Chan Sifu in 4K high def with proper professional audio. And this was going to be used in a larger documentary. And the idea was I wanted to tell the real story of Yip Man mm. before everyone who could really tell the story was gone. And so the idea would be that Chan Sivu would kind of lead me through Hong Kong and narrate the story. And then we would talk to who was around. We would recreate things without any of the spin of the Yip Man movies, you know? And um, so the idea was like, you know, I'm kind of this young Wing Chun Sifu teaching in, in, in the, you know, I mean, young relatively compared to these guys. I'm not really young yeah. anymore. Uh, and then he would kind of, he would kind of walk me through uh, this, uh, this journey to find out about my great grand teacher. And then, of course, over the pandemic, um, not because of COVID, but during the pandemic, he unfortunately passes away. And so, um, yeah, it's really unfortunate. But we have three hours of Chan Sivu on camera. And I asked them everything about his life where he was born, his first jobs, how he started learning Wing Chun, how did Yip Man teach him, his stories with Bruce Lee, everything that I could get from him. I had him tell stories about, you know, Yip Man's teaching prowess and all this kind of stuff. And we have it. So, you know, the sad thing is he's not with us anymore. But uh, at some point, I want to unveil this footage, whether we do it in a new documentary or whether we release it separately for something, maybe just for Chan Sifu, or we do a combination of those things. Um, I actually have one clip of it, uh, of the interview where Yip Man, uh, where Chan Siman tells a story about how Yip Man kicked this dude. And uh, that is on my Patreon. So for those uh, for those who uh, support us on Patreon, that video is, is over there. Uh, now, so you can see that as well, yeah. To my understanding, uh... Chan Sifu was learning in the early days of under Grandmaster Yip Man and not in like the middle or later days when when students were learning from their Siheng, mm -hmm. right? He was learning yeah. directly from Grandmaster Yip Man, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, privately. In fact, he would yes. learn in the morning. Sometimes he was the only person there. And he <laughs> said that at that time, Yip Man would also practice with him. So he said he would go there and they would do the Siunam Tao form across from each other. So it was like he had to actually mirror yeah. Man doing the Siunam Tao form, same pacing, same speed. So he wasn't looking in a mirror. He was looking at the Grandmaster. Yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. that puts Chan Sivu in a very special category. And one of the most lovely uh, people out there, uh, you, can't even, you can't even really imagine how, how great he was. Um, David Bernstein, what do you think of the new YouTube master to Tengya? I don't think about, it. I get asked this question every, almost every podcast. Okay. Guys, he's an actor. Maybe he <laughs> learned a little bit of Wing Chun. Every video that he does is sped up. 
it's undercranked. It uses special effects. It uses stuntmen who go flying. All right. Repeat after me. Master two is an actor. The fact that he has a big social media following uh -huh. doesn't mean that it look, I'm I write for Wing Chun Illustrated magazine. I know people like Sifu David Peterson. I know high-level people within the Wing Chun family. At no point have we sat down over dim sum and go, I wonder what Master Two thinks about this topic. Okay. He's an actor. Get over it. Okay. All right. Not, I, I've never heard about this guy. Oh no, but, but you see, if you're on Instagram, Dre, you've seen him. He's the Chinese guy with the hair back and he, and and he's always getting attacked in his own school. He's always walking and then his students attack him and he just punches them all. It's like the fakest nonsense. And people go like, oh, and he, and of course. Because it's fake, he gets a bajillion views and people go, what are your thoughts on, like, people, people always ask me, what do I think about this guy? And the answer is, I don't, all right? No, don't. no serious person as, thinks As simple about as it. that, you don't. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely, great. absolutely. Um, I'm going to check right. him out. Thanks, no, no, David. He's just, he's just, look, he has, he has choreographers. He has, uh, you know, everything is sped up. Everything is undercranked. It's, it's, it's fake. It's get over it, all right? Uh, are you holding this back? Wait till you die. So many do that. This is gold. Don't wait. You talk about the Chen, uh, Chen Sifu footage. Yes. Yeah, but I want to do something respectful. And the thing is, the moment I put that footage out there on YouTube, then it gets repurposed by all those big Wing Chun pages on Instagram and recranked and, and then exploited and whatever. No, I respect Chen Sifu too much to just give it out there without properly... Uh, without putting it as a proper tribute to him, just so that all these wing, all these Wing Chun Mill sites on Instagram and stuff can just repurpose it, and use it, and then so YouTube channels can take my footage and use it to get a bajillion views because they're going to exploit it. Uh, no, so boom. What else we got? Uh, can I mirror Dre's shadow during the Siulan Tao form when I'm there? Because you got that Yip Man shape. That's why. All right, cool, guys. Well, we are just about to wrap it up. Let Shout out just, to Pretty Fly. Let me just uh, double check here a little bit. Um, Pedro Delgado, did I get my guayabera? I did not. Unfortunately, on my last trip to Florida, I was uh, yeah, pretty busy with my girls, and we, we, we went to safari. We did lots of fun stuff. I did not have time to go to Miami. So I talked about it. I wanted to go to the shop uh, and get a get a new Guayabera because I don't have, mine is kind of old and it's, it's somewhat ill-fitting, um, but I did not have time. Um, boom. Uh, boom. Don't do it, Dre. Don't train your algorithm on two things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think at some point I've like unfollowed anyone who posts his stuff because I was just getting tired of watching that stuff. I'm going to log out of YouTube and then look it up. Yeah, yeah, or or you just or you just use your dummy account that you use to look at all the thirst traps, right? I know, uh, I, I, the, you know, or the ones you use to spy on other Wing Chun people or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Awesome, uh, cool. So, well, hey guys, thank you so much for joining us today for this live episode. Next week at our normal time, we will have a normal pre-recorded Ask Me Anything episode, which also has the audio version here. So for those of you who listen to us on audio, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we had an audio version, but we'll get mm -hmm. caught up with that. And uh, yeah, and I think we should leave it on this final comment. Junction Street Tigers, everyone looks good until you pull out a 45 and bang, settle it. All Ooh. right, line for Ooh. the Dragon. Absolutely Ooh. beautiful. JKD Mayor Master Driz Banger, thank you so much for joining us today. Got, oh, wait, hold on. We got another one of those favorites nations for Dre, the donations. My favorite nation. Thank you so much for sending that to us. Definitely appreciate it. Thank you so All much right. for thank you, support Frank. on Patreon. Oh. We really appreciate that. Thank you, guys. That we will see you guys soon. That's what's up. Take care, guys. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs>